Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join your hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hey guys, welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Dr. Karen. Thanks for joining us today. Phil, who's on the show today? Yeah, today we have Pam Parrish, who is a woman that I've gotten to know in the uh, recently, and she lives in Atlanta. She's the president of Connections Homes, and you're going to find more about that uh, during the interview. She's a blogger. She's also an author. She's written the Ready or Not series, um, which you can uh, grab out there on Amazon. And, you know, as I say, Ready or Not series, it's actually has a new title, the Battle Weary Parents series, but many of you out there know it as the Ready or Not series. So um, we're going to get to this interview in just a minute, but I, I also want to just remind you all of the Christian Alliance for Orphans Summit, which is coming up in May. You can get info at that at CAFO, CAFO.org. And I believe it's backslash summit, but it's also a link there on the CAFO.org page. And you definitely want to make it there if you can. It's in Dallas this year and it's well worth your time, especially if you've never been to one of these conferences. I know Karen and I will be there. There's also going to be lots of and lots of other people in this space that will be able to teach you stuff. You can learn from them and they can learn from you as well because I know everyone listening to this has a story to tell and things that we can learn from each other so that's what I always love about KFO Summit is we can get there together share our stories learn from each other and also just hear some great content in the breakouts and in the main sessions. Also this year, there's this coaching thing that they're starting up where you're going to be able to get coached by people like the likes of Karen. She's going to be there coaching um, different people. And I know uh, Dave Rudko from Providence is also going to be there coaching people on the DISC uh, personality assessment, which we're going to talk a little bit about after this interview as well. So without more from me, we're going to get this interview with Pam Parrish. And afterwards, we have some conversations with, with Karen and I and also some more recommendations from us as well. So here it goes with Pam Parrish. Hey Pam, it's so great to have you here on the show today. Hey, I'm so honored to be on the show today, Phil. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, you know, I know that a lot of folks out there um, may may know who you are, but I know for those of you who don't uh, out there, you, you definitely want to get to know Pam, uh, whether it's through her writings, through her resources that she has. But but Pam, why don't you just share a, just for a couple minutes on, on just your story and how you got to be where you are today? Awesome. Thank you. Well, I mean, our story really um, started in foster care. We had um, moved to Atlanta from Raleigh, North Carolina in 2006, and we were the parents of one amazing biological daughter, Kristen. She was 11 at the time, and she had always wanted um, a sibling, but medically we could not make that happen. And I had I was transitioning out of a corporate career um, that had lasted almost 10 years. And our CEO had always said, your hours are eight to faint. Hmm. And so, you know, just the, the flexibility and the freedom to add to our family through adoption or any other means wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we moved to Georgia and I just happened to be laying on the couch watching PBS And there was a special on the heart gallery and they were talking about kids in foster care who um, are available for adoption. And up until that point, adoption to me meant, you know, international adoption. So Kristen being 11, I did not want to go back to diaper bags and um, all nighters. Little did I know that teenagers come with that, but that's a whole other part of my story. But um, we ended up going into foster care and adopted an 11-year-old the same age as Kristen. 
we didn't know at the time that there were rules to this thing about birth order and things like that. So we have consistently broken them <laughs> all throughout our journey. Um, but we were one and done. We had no intention of adopting again, but, um, as is the story of many adoptive families, you know, once you get close to the, the brokenness, um, and the need in foster care and kids who um, have no family, you can't help but to open your heart and let God move. So we ended up adopting again, a 15 year old out of foster care as well. So, um, we grew up pretty fast as parents, um, into the high school teenage years and then um, a few years later, the Lord told us that we were going to adopt again. This time we ended up adopting an 18 year old who um, was internationally. She was internationally adopted as a young teen. She was sent back to her orphanage as an 18 year old. And the embassy was bringing her back from Ukraine. And they were just calling a missions organization um, was just calling around trying to get churches to help. And we got the call and we knew this was, um, our daughter, um, that the Lord had already spoken to us about. So we literally moved her into our home the next day. Um, following that, we have four other daughters that have come into our family after the age of 18, um, through various circumstances. So we have a total of eight daughters. Um, and yes, my husband is a saint, um, <laughs> all of that estrogen, um, in our family. And, um, you know, we just continue to kind of work this thing out with, as the Bible says, fear and trembling, you know, that, you know, we're figuring it out as we go. And, um, our kids are absolutely incredible and have been a huge blessing in our lives, but it's not easy. And, you know, out of the story of it not being easy, um, I have connected with a lot of people in the, um, adoption and foster care arena and these resources have been developed. And then ultimately what I call my job, quote unquote, every day at Connections Homes was actually launched out of our own story of finding families for young adults, 18 to 25, who have no one in their life. Yeah. So let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. And it was, it was, you, you made it very easy for me to segue to Connections <laughs> Homes. Um, and, uh, let's, let's talk about that for a little bit. And can you just, first of all, share a little bit more about what Connections Homes is and, um, just what your, what your dream is for, for the ministry? Yeah. I mean, Connections Homes simply is an organization we, we're starting in Georgia, but we are looking at, you know, being nationwide at some point. Um, but we are working with young adults that are 18 to 25, um, that have aged out of foster care, they're homeless or otherwise without family. And basically what we do is we recruit families, um, people within our community who will become an adult connection for that young adult, um, basically be a stable, committed relationship for them that, you know, always answers their phone calls, has a seat for them at the Thanksgiving table, um, is there for them in, in the mountains and the valleys of life to just say, Hey, I'm your one, I'm your one person mm -hmm. who is always going to be dependable, I may not always agree with you, but I'm always going to love you. And um, I just don't think that you have to do this life alone. And I'm not going to let you do that. So we started three years ago. We're in our third operational year. And we started with just an idea that, you know, we could build a model that was different, that 
you know, these young adults, when they turn 18 to 21 and, you know, they age out of foster care or whatever, um, I, I don't know about you, Phil, but for me, when I was 18, I was far from an adult. And, you know, you look at these kids and you think they have absolutely no one to turn to in good decisions, bad decisions, great things that happen in their life, terrible things that happen in their life and just traditional things. Like I remember we were sitting whenever we first launched with a group of young adults um, from United Methodist Children's Home locally here in Atlanta. And we were just kind of asking them, it was a town hall setting and we were kind of pitching the idea of Connections Homes to them and talking about what it would look like for them to have someone in your life. And we just asked them, like, what do you imagine adulthood being for yourself? And one of the young men who um, is now connected to a wonderful Connections Home uh, person, um, he just said, you know, I imagine spending my birthday going to the grocery store, buying a cupcake and going back to my apartment and celebrating by myself. Mm. And that single statement epitomizes why we do what we do, because it's pretty simple. We're just building relationships. We're not saying you have to move these young people into your home. We're not saying you have to give them money or buy them a car. You don't have to do any of that. Some people do, some people don't, but, um, we just want you to have a relationship with them and we don't want them to celebrate their birthdays alone. And, um, the good news out of that story is he didn't celebrate his next birthday alone. He had a birthday party with a lot of people surrounding him who were investing in his story. So that's the basics of what we do. We just ask people to step into relationships with young adults who don't have anyone. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, what, I know there's so many different, obviously each, each individual person, young adult is an individual, unique person Mm -hmm. with amazing gifts and talents that we all know. But what are some of the common issues that these, these young adults are facing as they age out of foster care, um, children's homes, whatever it may be. And how are you able to, you and the, obviously the families and the people able to kind of address those and, and bring them into the fold so that hopefully healing can take place? Well, I mean, one of the major um, issues that we find are just gaps. They have gaps in their education. You know, a large percentage of kids who age out of foster care, well, about 60% is the statistic, um, won't have a high school diploma or GED. Mm. So just, you know, investing in a young person's life and helping them to go back and accomplish that. We have a lot of our young people who end up getting a skilled trade, like a CNA, which is a certified nurse's nurse's assistant. It takes like three weeks of classes. And, you know, it's actually a career path that you can go down or carpentry or plumbing or things like that. Because a lot of these young people, I mean, you know, in orphan care, they lag behind educationally because their, their childhood has been so traumatic and unstable that, you know, they weren't able to get a quality education and don't really necessarily always thrive in the classroom. So if you can just get somebody to come alongside them that says, Hey, you know, my family's in the restaurant business. Let me help you get started on that path. Then, um, you can begin to fill in those gaps. A lot of them don't have an ID. Um, literally like, um, we've run into several cases where, They don't have a copy of their birth certificate, which is understandable. Um, And in Georgia, in order to have to get a driver's license or a state ID, you have to have an original copy of your birth certificate. 
But to get a copy of your birth certificate, you have to have a photo ID. So it becomes this vicious cycle that they give up on really quickly. They're like, well, I don't know who to call and and I don't know what letter to send to get this so that I can get that and Mm -hmm. to get that so I can get this. So, um, you know, and just keeping them on track with employment, 50% um, of young adults who age out of foster care remain unemployed. Mm. And, um, you know, just putting a connection in their life helps them discover their worth because they begin to belong to someone. They have someone to bounce their ideas off of. And, you know, honestly, we all had, you know, harebrained ideas when we were 19 years old, like, I'm going to go be a rock star, but I can't sing a lick, right? You know, and just helping them to navigate their dreams and their passions and their talents and and what it means to find healing. And, you know, that could be recommending a counselor. It could be just sitting down with them and listening to their story as it comes out over time. And it could be just helping them to believe in themselves that they can do something, with their life. They aren't doomed to be homeless. Right. Absolutely. And I, and I, I think that, you know, with, with this show, as those of you who out there who listen, um, regularly know there are so much, so much interconnectedness in all of this stuff. And if, if a child grows up and then ends up being a young adult that ages out of whether it's foster care and doesn't have a family, they're, they're often, um, they often repeat, you know, that cycle in adulthood. If, like you said, one person, two people, a group of people come don't get, aren't able to come into their life. Human trafficking is another part of it. I know in Atlanta that's a that's a big issue, but these are yeah. these are issues that aren't limited to Atlanta, and I, I and I know that they are global issues. So people, mm-hmm. you know, on this show as we've talked about with people from all over the world listening in, and one question I want to ask you is, you know. It's, it's, it's daunting to think of, you know, I know a lot of people say, well, I don't even know where to begin with this stuff. And so, you know, from, from your standpoint, I know you just, you obviously came into it, um, in a way that you didn't expect, but how are you able to connect with these young adults that often are elusive, that often are homeless, that often aren't, you know, knocking on your door saying, Hey, can you help me? Um, how would you encourage people out there to, to, you know, one, connect with these young adults and two, what are some practical ways? And it sounded like you gave us a couple of them, you know, simply helping them get education, helping them get a license, things like that. Um, but what are some practical ways our audience can help? Well, I think one of the most practical ways um, to answer your second question first is, you know, just to be a listening ear. I mean, a lot of these kids just don't have somebody to talk to and to talk through things with and just, bounce. I mean, I'm a parent of eight young adult daughters. They're all between the ages of 21 and 25. And every single one of them, the biggest thing that they need from me sometimes is just for me to listen and, um, you know, ask kind of the, the redirect questions and, you know, help them to process something that they're thinking about, whether it's thinking about going back to school or getting into a relationship or whatever it is, not necessarily to tell them what to do. I learned at 15 that you had to stop doing that, but to, you know, ask, ask some good questions, some effective questions, um, let them know you hear them, let them know you're praying for them, um, checking in on them and just saying, Hey, I was thinking about you today. Like that's, hugely practical for these kids to just have somebody text and say, you're on my mind this morning. Uh, let me know if you have uh, time for coffee or, you know, if we can grab a phone call 
at some point soon. I know you're busy and most of them are. I mean, a lot of these kids are having to work multiple jobs, so they don't have a, a, a lot of time on their hands, but just knowing that there's somebody out there. So that's one of the, one of the most practical ways and actually one of the most beneficial ways. The other thing that I would say on how do you get started in this? I mean, just in every state, in uh, the United States, um, I don't know how it works around the world, but I would imagine there's something similar is there's independent living programs, transitional living programs. And, and let's be honest, there's homeless shelters that have a high percentage of these young people. And if you can volunteer at um, one of these places, then there, there are definitely mentorship opportunities. Um, and you just begin to build relationships with these kids. And for us, we began there. We began, you know, just building relationships in the community with some of our independent and transitional living programs. Now, a lot of our referrals, um, they come to us from those programs, but they also come to us word of mouth. Like one kid will get connected and they know another kid. So they'll tell them and, you know, they'll email us and say, Hey, I kind of would like to have that in my own life too. So um, for us, it's a growing awareness in the Atlanta area, but these kids are everywhere. And I think that if you just look in the right places, you can find them and build that sustainable relationship. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that's, I think so often that when we see that it doesn't take some huge program, it doesn't take some huge thing usually, um, you know, usually it's just simply as, you know, we talked about earlier, Josh Shipp, when he talked about it, it just takes one caring adult. Mm -hmm. um, in so many instances. Um, and you know, obviously other things that come along with that, but it starts, as you say, with listening. And then from there you can learn what they need and it will be different in every situation. Um, so, you know, now I want to move on. You have so many different, uh, resources that are out there as we, as we've talked about and alluded to earlier. Um, one of those resources, uh, you were able to do a webinar for CAFO a couple years back that I want to, I want to touch on a little bit later in our interview. Um, when we talk about the devotionals that you've put out, cause I think it's related to that. But the another one that, that I've seen online and we'll link to this in our show notes, um, is you have this this training that you do, and it's, it's called opting out of the drama cycle. Um, and I would love for you to just briefly describe the drama cycle, which I <laughs> thought was it was a fantastic little video, uh, five minute or so, that was all too familiar. Um, I've seen it in so many other people. I've of course never seen it in my house, but um, <laughs> but uh, can you just briefly describe that? And practically, how can we opt out of the cycle? Yeah, I mean, I think that when I discovered the drama cycle, which um, there's a, a Carplin's pyramid or triangle of drama or something like that. I'm sorry, I'm stumbling over where it actually came from. But I do a lot of research and I'm always reading on how to improve myself and our relationships with our kids. And when I come, came across the drama cycle, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the answer to I mean, we have eight daughters, lots of estrogen, mm -hmm. um, lots of drama. So this is this is what the problem is. This is what my problem is. Um, and I remember just a funny aside on this. I went and I shared this with my husband when I discovered it. I was like, you're not going to believe what I just figured out. <laughs> and he gives me this knowing look like, uh-huh. 
And I was like, what? And he was like, I've been trying to tell you that for years. <laughs> so uh, he's a smart man mm-hmm. who uh, decided to pray about it and let the Holy Spirit tell me whenever I was ready. Um, but basically, the drama cycle is something that happens in all of our lives. Um, every day we are involved in relational transactions is what the book calls it. Like you're giving and taking in relationships. Um, and the triangle is basically a triangle. And you, at one one end, you have a persecutor, which is someone that is trying to take advantage of you, trying to hurt you, trying to harm you in some way. And then you have the victim, which is the person that's being taken advantage of, being harmed or whatever. And then you have the rescuer, this person who's going to come in and they're going to take you out of the uh, out of the triangle and they're going to rescue you. And for it, for drama to happen, you have to either be a victim or a rescuer. Um, and you have to have one of the other roles happening at some point in your life. So just a practical scenario in a family. So let's just say you've got mom and dad and you've got little Susie and um, little Susie wants to go play with her friend down the street. And uh, mom says, no, because you haven't cleaned your room like I asked you to. And so little Susie runs to dad and says, dad, mom won't let me go play with my friend down the street. She's being so mean. And dad being rescuer, because now Susie's being a victim and uh, mom is being the persecutor and little Susie needs a rescuer. So she goes to dad and dad steps in and says, oh, I'm sorry, honey. I'm, it's fine. You can go play with your friend down the street. Just be back in an hour to finish your room. Um, And that's the drama cycle. So all of a sudden you have Susie running off to play with her friend when she didn't take her responsibility for what her mom asked. And then you have mom who in Susie's story was the persecutor who now becomes a victim because she feels persecuted by dad because he didn't uphold her um, ruling uh, of Susie cleaning her room. So then all of a sudden now mom is is a victim And she's feeling at odds with dad. So this is how you get into this drama cycle. So this this scenario in a family can play out all day long, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And basically to fast forward through a two-hour training (laughs) that goes into a whole lot more depth than I can give here, in order to opt out of the drama cycle, you have to redefine the drama cycle. And you have to realize that instead of a victim – you have to realize that you are the author of your own story. So Susie, instead of being a victim, mom's mistreating me, could have realized, you know what? I do have control over this. I can still go play with my friend down the street if I do what mom has asked me to. I have the power to change this scenario rather than just be a victim to it. Mm-hmm. And um, you can look at the thing that's persecuting as you, you as a teacher, Like all of us have bad things that happen to us in life, people who do bad things to us. um, But those things can either make us a victim or they can help us to grow by being a teacher in our life. Just because something's bad doesn't mean it has to destroy us. It can make us stronger. And an author and not a victim will recognize that difference and say, you know what, I'm going to use this in my life to make me grow stronger. And then, you know, the issue that I think a lot of families in 
the foster care and adoption arena find themselves in is the issue of rescuer because the truth is our kids, the kids that we work with on a daily basis, they are the victim. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of very real and practical ways, their life has victimized them. Um, and we want to quote unquote rescue them and save them. And, you know, we want to give them back all that they've lost, but honestly, we can't do that. Nobody but Jesus can, uh, take ashes and make them beautiful. All that we can do is step into what I have redefined the other role as, as a restorer. Um, it is our job to help restore them to a normal life. Um, that doesn't mean that we can change their circumstances. That doesn't mean that we can, um, overlook things um, that they need to learn sometimes in order to grow stronger, but we can help them see. So let's go back to my simple analogy and dad, Susie goes to dad, dad, mom is being mean to me. She won't let me um, go down and play with my friend down the road. And instead of dad saying, oh, that's okay, go ahead and do that. Dad could say as a restorer, Oh, Susie, I'm so sorry. I know that must be frustrating to you that your mom won't let you do that. What is your mom's reason? Well, she says, because I didn't clean my room. Oh, okay. Well, that makes absolute sense. So that just means if you spend the next 30 minutes cleaning your room, then you can go see your friend down the road. And he restores Susie and that relationship, not by taking her out of the problem, which is cleaning her room. He restores her by helping to guide her mm-hmm. in the problem. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that's that's a real simple, like, overview of what the drama cycle is. But it happens every day in all right. of our lives. Yeah, and I imagine that our listeners are are relating um, very much if they're if they're human, um, <laughs> which I think most of our listeners are. Um, so you know, and I know you have training on that. Is that is that training on the video link um, as well? Like where they can get more information about the training, and if they want you to be able to help with that, or um, is that something you do outside of Atlanta as well? Uh, can you just yes. share with our audience how they can find out more information if they want to get more training on that or anything else that we're talking about today? Oh, absolutely. So I have done opting out of the drama cycle. I, I did it. Um, I've done it at KFO, the summit. Um, I most recently did it this year at a conference called created for care mm-hmm. for adoptive moms. And I think if you go to the created for care website in their resources, you can actually buy the okay. training, the audio or the video. Um, and then, you know, obviously I do, um, deliver it. If, you know, my schedule allows, I'm happy to come and do the training on this. I did it. Um, I want to say I did this training in Thailand where you and I first met, but I can't remember. It's I've slept a couple of times since then. <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, but can they connect with you just at pamparish.com? Is that, is that the best spot? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. And my email address is just pam.parish at gmail. And okay. <laughs> well, great. Well, yeah, if you're out there and that's something that, that, uh, connects with you and you want to really get a little bit more on that, I'd, I'd recommend uh, reaching out to Pam. Um, well, let's get into now your the writings that you've been able to do. And, and I've, I've been able to dive into these a little bit. I'm definitely excited to dive into them more. But uh, you have a couple devotionals that are out already. And as I found out uh, before doing this interview that uh, you have a third one you're working on getting out there. Can you just share um, what the different devotionals are, the intended audience for each one and, and kind of what they're all about? 
Yeah, absolutely. Before I do that, I want to say one more thing about the opting out of the drama oh, cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, every time that I have done this training, one, I become a better parent when I'm pre- preparing for the training because I recognize the drama cycles that I'm involved in mm-hmm. and I opt out of them and make the, the, take the opportunity to do some restoration myself. But I have people who walk away from it every time and just have a whole new way of doing relationship, not just with their kids, but with their husband, with their coworkers. Sometimes it's people who say, you know what? I have this really difficult boss and I did not realize Mm -hmm. how much I was letting this drama just overtake my life. And, um, so I really do, you know, if, if anybody wants to go buy that at the creative for care site, it, it really is life changing. It was pretty life changing for me. It's not something that I came up with uniquely. It's mm-hmm. just something that I kind of molded to my own story. Yeah. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to say no, that because so many people, um, but on the devotionals. Yeah. Um, so I have two devotions that are out. The first one is ready or not which is a, um, I call it a 30 day discovery for families growing through foster care and adoption. And, you know, it it gets mainly used in a lot of realms for people who are considering fostering or adoption. It's 30 days of just asking the question, what is God calling us to here? And it's not easy. Uh, One of the things that I talk about pretty openly in my devotions is my own story. And we've pretty much been through most of it, um, in our story with our kids. And, you know, in doing that, we have learned to walk so closely with the Holy Spirit and just realize that there's nothing that my kids, the devil, a coworker, anybody can throw at me in any given day that God doesn't have an answer for in his word. And um, if I just take the time to pull away and ask him and, you know, get other people around me. The other thing about the devotions is they're formatted as a group study guide. So you can it's intended for you if you're married to do this with your spouse, to really ask the hard questions and to pray about it and get into the scripture. Um, but you can also use it in a small group setting to, you know, kind of discuss getting into foster care and adoption with others. It, the, the first book ready or not is also really helpful if you've been in it for a while and you just kind of go, okay, God, I've lost my bearings a little bit on why I feel like you called me to do this. Um, and for a lot of people, my story being one of them, our move into foster care and adoption wasn't what I would call quote unquote, a spiritual call. We didn't hear a sermon. We didn't, run across James 127. We just said, Hey, we want to add to our family. And so we jumped into this arena kind of, uh, hoping Jesus would catch up. Right. And, and sometimes I I see families do that and then they get into the heart and they're like, wait, did I make the right decision? And the uh, first book really helps people to kind of realign with God's heart for the fatherless and understand that um, no matter how you entered this journey, he is in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And um, he can direct your steps and will continue to guide you and lead you and give you the strength that you need. The second devotional is um, a 30 day devotion for battle weary parents. <laughs> and I really wrote this uh, devotion, this 30 days in the midst of battle mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, reaching points 
in my own walk where I thought, I don't know that I can do this another day. Um, and I don't really know how to continue to move forward. And this is really hard. And, you know, one of the stories I tell in the Battle Weary Parents devotion is reaching a point, And I still remember it so vividly. I, I was driving down the road and I just, I was so angry at God, um, at the situation at hand and exhausted, absolutely 100% totally exhausted. And I just had this real moment with the Lord where I just said, you can't ask this of me. You can't require this of me. And I don't think I can make it another day. And I'm just, I'm done. And I just cried. And then I got home and very quietly, the Holy Spirit said, call some friends. So I called three select friends. I told them everything that was going on and um, what we were battling as a family. And I asked them to pray for me because at that moment, the specific children who were in crisis needed me and I didn't have time to pray. Mm. And I needed other people going to war mm. on our behalf and coming alongside me and knowing what was going on and just letting me be a mom to my kids and knowing that the spiritual side of things were, was covered. And uh, that's really where Battle Weary was birthed from is mm. just out of the just gut wrenching hard Um, so, and the third one that I'm working on is going to be called go again, love. And, um, really it's out of, um, Hosea chapter three, where the Lord tells Hosea to go again and love his wife who is, um, prostituting herself. And Mm -hmm. I think that God, when you're in this journey in the hard, that he often says that go again, love, do it again, just keep doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, so really it's about how to remain. And how to continue to be faithful and um, how to go again in love, even in the midst of rejection, even in the midst of, you know, you're, I mean, as a parent, we all know you can say something a hundred times and they, they just don't hear you. Um, Even in the midst of feeling like, you know, feeling like it's not, the story might not end well, even though you know it will, Mm -hmm. um, and trusting God in their story and what that looks like as a parent. So, um, that's, that's the devotions. Yeah. Now that's in there. I, I'm, I'm just going to say this. I I've read through, um, in, in preparation for this uh, interview was able to read through the battle weary parents in its entirety and in some of the ready or not one as well. Um, and was able to, you know, just, I'm excited. I'm actually talked to my wife and said, Hey, we're going to go through this battle weary parents one together. Um, we, and, and we haven't adopted kids. We haven't fostered kids, but for our biological children as well, it is, it's, you know, we're all battle weary. We all are mm-hmm. all battle weary. And, and, and I just love, um, exactly what you talked about there. There's so much in there as far as the need for others. And it's so much what we talk about on this podcast, which is why we're doing it is we need each other, right? We need people in our lives to collaborate on what we're doing, kingdom building work and parenting our kids is some of the most important kingdom building work. Any of us, um, whether they're biological adopted, whether we're fostering, um, or whether we're, you know, like you said, pouring into, um, young adults who haven't been able to have a family for whatever reason, um, in the mentoring side of things. So, yeah, I mean, I just think that one of the things that, um, we forget 
in parenting um, is that we are in a battle Mm -hmm. that, you know, there is an enemy of our children's soul that is out to destroy them and to take them off path. And, and, you know, the Lord is very clear that they're, they are our arrows that we're to aim them. Um, and that we are to remain faithful in the battle for them. And sometimes that remaining faithful is just being on our knees. There's nothing practical that we can do. All we can do is pray and know that we've planted arrows of faith way out in their future that, um, God will honor. And, um, I think that just recognizing that we're in a battle and recognizing, um, our role to, um, build ourselves up, even when we are battle weary is one of the most critical things that we can do. Because if the enemy can take out a parent in the story of their kid, he can take out the kid. Right. But I mean, we've all heard the phrase, you know, hell knows, knows no fury like a praying mother. (laughs) Um, and, and it's true. And I would, I would say both parents, like there's a covenant that God cuts with you, with your kids. And, and when you are continually before the throne and you're doing battle, then um, God has to move and the enemy has to lose at some point, ultimately. Absolutely. Um, well, I, I know that there, there is actually a chapter on Nehemiah in that, in the Ready or Not, um, or actually it's not Ready or Not, excuse me, the Battle Weary Parents books, um, that uh, I, I was going to have you give that uh, get summary of that, uh, of that chapter. But you know what? I, I want everyone out there to buy these these devotionals, whatever stage you're at, um, it is so worth your, your investment of time, um, that it will take to get through these. Um, it is a 30 day, they are intended for 30 days. And I encourage you to do that because it will be well worth your time. And, and as I said, there's a, there's a chapter on Nehemiah that I, I think is worth the price of the book in itself. So, um, if that doesn't get you out to, to click on Amazon and grab it, I don't know what would, but, um, but there's also, just to get an idea of, of Pam's heart and her ability to write and connect, she's got a, a blog. Um, and so, and, and uh, Pam, can you just share a little bit about why you started a blog? I think that's something that people you know, wonder is, is you know, what, what caused you to do that? And then really what your intent for the blog is for, for folks out there. Well, I mean, I really just started it because I do enjoy writing. Mm-hmm. And um, I process with my fingers on a keyboard. Um, and a lot of the times when I'm going through something, I don't believe we go through things for ourselves. I think that we go through things, uh, for God's glory. Um, and God doesn't get glory unless you share it, um, what you're going through. And, and when I say that, obviously it it goes without saying that when I share things, I have eight kids and several of them have read my books. And when I share stories in the books, half the time they're like, mom, I don't remember which one of us did that. (laughs) And I'm like, exactly, because it could have been about four of you. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, you know, you protect your kids' stories. Um, You're very rarely, unless it's kind of a good story, going to hear me name one of my kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But even so, we can tell our story and tell the God in our story and be an encouragement to other people by putting ourselves out there and letting us be letting ourselves be an example. So my blog is that that's how I got started. I just realized, you know what, there's a lot of foster and adoptive families, a lot of just families out there that just need to know that they're not the only one. 
And, you know, if I can help you along the way by sharing something that I've come across, whether it's a favorite song or whether it's the five key things that I've done that have helped me to walk with my kids, whatever it is, I'm going to share that on my blog. Yeah. And on that note, for you audiophiles out there, Pam has a Spotify song list, um, you know, that that I definitely will will um, put on my uh, my Spotify so that I can I can check that out. It's for it's really for adoption, foster care. Um, You know, I've made a similar list and I I just love to be able to be reminded of of God's heart for this, for Mm -hmm. why we're doing what we're doing. And, And I think song is such a great great way to do that. So thanks for putting that together. And I encourage you folks out there to, to check that out. Um, and I think that, that, that brings us to our last couple questions, uh, that we ask everybody. And, uh, these always go so fast and I'm thinking, how in the world have we talked for this long already? But, um, <laughs> cause it's just so much good stuff. So, but the, the last couple questions, um, are, are my, some of my favorite, uh, information. Some of the books that I've read over the last year or so have come from this. And so the first one is what have you read, listened to, or watched, um, that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphaned and at-risk children with excellence? Well, I think that very early in my journey, when we were really struggling, one of the first books that I came across was um, Wounded Children Healing Homes. Mm. Um, um, Jane Schooler was a co-author on that, who now I can I can call friend. Mm-hmm. Um, but it transformed me in just understanding that I'm not alone in this and that and, and that understanding that there was something deeper going on with my kids than just bad behaviors and um, understanding the connection between trauma and that was just it was just huge for me. And then, you know, beyond that, the connected child, pretty much anything Karen Purvis. Mm-hmm. I remember going uh, to a CAFO conference, probably my first CAFO conference, this was years ago, and I was walking by the big sanctuary. I couldn't figure out which session I wanted to go in. And there was this gray haired woman that I'd never heard of on stage. So I went and I sat down and I began to listen to her and literally feel I, after she walked off the stage, I sat in my seat and cried Mm. for 30 minutes. And I just felt this overwhelming sense of hope and this overwhelming sense of how badly I had done it Mm. (laughs) up until this point. And, um, I just, from that point on anything that I could get my hands on from TBRI was gold to me, totally transformed uh, my parenting and the way I think about the issues that we face with our kids. I mean, even in connections homes, we still use TBRI practices Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with building relationships. Yeah. And you're not alone on that. I know a lot of people Mm -hmm. are, and it's been amazing. The legacy that, uh, Dr. Purvis has uh, left Amazing. is just, mm-hmm. it's uh, unparalleled in the space, I think. And it's just, it's just incredible to see how God used her and will continue to. Um, the last question, what one person has most impacted your thinking about how we can love orphaned and at-risk children with excellence? Well, I think um, I uh, just answered that with Karen Purvis, um, but there is another person very much more personal. I never met Karen in person. Um, but her, again, like you said, her legacy, it's going to live on in my kids because that I changed my parenting, but there's a a friend of mine who, um, also is involved in global orphan care. Her name is Ruby Johnston. And we became friends through one of our girls. Um, Ruby was involved in her story out of Ukraine. And that's when I first met Ruby. And, um, 
she has been so transformational in me and has influenced me in every area from the starting of Connections Homes to um, how I conduct training to um, just how I parent because of just who she is. So I think that, you know, if I really were to look at who has made the greatest impact on me personally, I would have to say Ruby. She's amazing. Well, thank you for your time today. Um, I, I am so, I know that I'm, I definitely have learned more today and I've been doing a lot of research, uh, on just your life and, and how God's been using you to love, uh, these children well. And so thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing. And I know all that you continue to do folks out there. Definitely, um, Reach out to Pam if anything stuck out to you today and, and just, just uh, connect with her uh, to, to see how you can work together for kingdom building. So thanks again, Pam. And uh, yeah, I look forward to continuing this conversation soon. Thank you so much, Phil. Thank you for having me on. All right. Well, thanks again, Pam, for that great wisdom that you're sharing with us. I know you, you are helping so many people out there, Pam, and I just look forward to hearing how you out there, you audience members are able to use that information um, that Pam just shared with us in all the work that you're doing with, uh, with orphaned vulnerable children around the world. So, Karen, what did uh, what'd you take away from it? Yeah, so much, so much. I really enjoyed this interview. It was a, a good a good word for me to be reminded about, you know, a lot of my work focuses so much on the clinical aspects of families who've grown through foster care and adoption. And obviously Jesus is a huge part and one of the main parts of my career and life. (laughs) Um, but so much of my career in working with families is the clinical piece. It's, it's the, the assessment piece and our families ready and, um, how can I equip families and empower families? And it was really encouraging for me to just be reminded about honestly, like prayer <laughs> and how her devotionals and the, um, the devotionals that she's written, particularly for parents and weary parents. Um, I've recommended these on a number of occasions to families that I work with. Um, and it was really just a great reminder for me to remember how powerful and sovereign God is and how he grows our families. And that, um, you know, on my side of the fence with the, the clinical aspects and the assessments and the preparation, there's only so, so far that that stuff goes that we definitely need um, prayer and just relying on the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. And I, as I said in the interview, you know, these these books are not just for foster and adoptive parents. I mean, we're all, I mean, I have five biological children and I'm weary and my wife's weary. And I, I know there's some specific things that, that go to the foster and adoptive parent, but I know you have both, Karen, and I know both your biological and adoptive children wear you out. Right. You know, and so, (laughs) so it's not, yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. But it's not exclusive to the foster and adoptive children. You know, it's, it's, there's obviously issues that, that uh, are specific to that, but, but yeah, you know, I, I really was interested. I don't know if you've heard of the drama cycle before, if that's a, you know, if that's, you know, a clinical thing that, that is, you know, been out there for a very long time and I just didn't know about, but I know uh, it was just a great little video. If, if the clip is on the show notes, folks, so if you want to go check that out, I, I definitely encourage you to do that. But uh, you know, what what's kind of the the clinical take on that drama cycle? And you know, is it legit or is it just something that you know we're kind of making up and having a cool little infographic? <laughs> no, I actually really like the drama cycle. It's not something that's necessarily, I would say, I don't know, 
maybe it is taught in a lot of schools. I'm not sure, but I, I definitely use it with families that I work with. It's so helpful in communication. It's so helpful. Um, especially when I'm trying to help teenagers understand like, what is my role in this conflict and, and mm-hmm. helping, um, students and young adults to understand what am I looking for in this connection with this person? What am I seeking out? But then on the flip side, what role am I playing in this conflict? Obviously, you know, in conflicts, I'm always right. Right. Of course, of course, of course. (laughs) Helping especially students and teenagers to start to get that bigger macro view of what is, what are we really discussing here and what role do I have in this? What am I bringing to the table? I think it really teaches and fosters a lot of responsibility. Um, you know, a lot of times kiddos who, especially children who've had histories of trauma, abuse, and neglect, they legitimately are victims and they're used to being in that role. And so it's really about empowering and it's really about fostering and and growing resiliency as well. Yeah, definitely. Before we move on to the, to the blog post that, that, uh, you know, actually number one, you know, lesson that I learned last year, not necessarily in order of importance, but, um, the last one of that, I just want you to you know, speak a little bit to, you know, where she talked about to help children aging out of care. Mm, um, yeah. you know, she talked a lot about that. And, and one thing she said is sometimes all they need is a listening ear. Um, what do you think about that? And really the rest of that conversation about the, the, the aging out, um, segment of the population. Yeah, it's such a relevant topic. And unfortunately it's a very, overlooked, um, segment of foster care and adoption and, and, and kiddos. And, you know, the statistics are just mind numbingly real and they're raw. And I don't know off the top of my head exactly, but I'm pretty sure that, um, it's like one in five, I think that of children who age out of the foster care system, one in five are going to become homeless at some Mm. point after age 18. Um, I think there's close to 50%, um, chance for unemployment after, I think it's like age 21 to 24. Don't quote me on that. (laughs) Um, but it, and then it's like under 5%, maybe like three to 4% are actually going to get a college degree. Um, and there's such a high rate of teenage pregnancy as well. And so, I mean, all of the numbers are there and it it makes sense that when a a student, a teenager, I don't really like to use the word child, but it's a young adult when, when they Mm -hmm. have even just someone that says, Hey, yeah, come on. It's, it's Thanksgiving. Come eat at my house or, Hey, come on. It's the game is on. Why don't you come over tonight and grab a bite? Just having someone, a connection is so wildly important. We talk about that with little kids. We, we think about it, I think, more with younger kids and how important bonding and attachment is. But for a young adult to have that safety and security and stability of knowing that I have someone that I can actually go eat dinner with on Sunday afternoon, or I have someone when I think about the holidays, I have a person or a family. It may not be my family, but I have a family that says, hey, come on. You can come meet with us. That's so wildly important. Yeah, no, definitely. Definitely. Well, now uh, we're going to transition to the blog post that uh, everyone, everyone out there is talking about. I've just, <laughs> you know, I've seen it all over social media and, you know, it's, it's, it's really humbling. Actually, I haven't seen it a single time except when I posted it, but I hope that <laughs> changes. I hope that you out there are sharing these things with people and talking about it a little bit, engaging it, if for no other reason, just to make me feel better. So thank you in advance for that. But 
we're now at number one on this list of things that I learned in 2017. And I I hope that in all seriousness that you are thinking about these things. Actually, one person did mention last week's where we talked about uh, really the importance of studying scripture. And I I do think that that is so important for us to know what we believe um, in so many different, for so many different reasons. But this week, number one is, is really how Last year, I really was able to learn a lot about the DISC personality assessment. And the DISC is, is D-I-S-C. D stands for dominant. I stands for inspiring or influential. S is supportive and C is cautious. And, you know, it's basically a personality assessment similar to the Myers-Briggs, but a lot simpler. And the thing about it that really that I learned was how important understanding our personality and understanding the personalities of the people that we know and love and that we work with in our different organizations and that we work with in our different ministries and in our communities and in our churches. If we understand the personalities of the people we're talking with and we understand our own, it will help communication so much. It'll help conflict resolution so much. In our organizations, it helps us to know who to hire and in what positions to put them in. It helps us understand who should who the leaders should be, especially given the different personalities in the organization and what those lead, how those leaders can lead and should lead in the particular organizations. Um, it's something that we used at La Providencia in Honduras. So it's, it's not something that's just an American thing. No, this is a global thing. This is a human thing that we really have different personalities. And one of the things that uh, my good friend uh, Dave Rudko in our organization has told me is, is really the idea that when you understand these personalities really well, you understand that you literally are speaking a different language than the other personality types. So if you go in trying to speak, for instance, I'm a high I, very people focused, very outgoing. If I go into the C world to a person who is very task focused and very reserved, and I try to speak I language, they're going to, they're going to buck that big time. They're not going to want to have chit chat. They're not going to want to really have a, you know, people focused long conversation with me. They're going to be likely in a, in their own little world where they're going to be wanting to get the job done. And so you need to know, I need to know when I'm going to talk to that person, I need to give them a task to be able to complete and they will go complete and hit it out of the park. Same way with a D. I'm not going to go and have chit chat all day with them. So there's different things that we need to know. There's so much more to this, but when I, when we did this in La Providencia in Honduras, it was, it was revolutionary for the organization. We were able to deal with conflict better. We actually had some people change positions and now they're flourishing in different ways because of it. We're able to, you know, figure out leadership issues and be able to do that better. Um, and you know, it just really allows us to communicate better with each other. And I've heard on different podcasts that Dave Ramsey at Ramsey Solutions puts their, their letter on the cubicle of our, their employees. So they know, you know, when they go talk to each other, you know, who they're talking to so that they can tailor the conversation to that. So, you know, it's something I encourage every one of you out there. It's like, we believe in it so much at, at Providence now that we're, we're really working to consult with other organizations on how they can use this task for, to this, this assessment. I've been told not to call it a test. It's an <laughs> assessment um, to really understand their organization better and be able to flourish more and better. And so if that's something you're interested in, let me know and we can, we can get you more information about that. But uh, yeah, that's really... The, the lesson and the, the really what God taught me last year a ton is just how that 
is so important. And it's really something that I really try to understand the people I'm talking with and meeting with and, and working with in this way so that I can communicate with them better. Yeah, that's really awesome, Phil. I hear a ton of enthusiasm and I think that, um, uh, very much aligns with your very high eye in this <laughs> assessment. Um, but I, I really do love how excited you are about it. That's so encouraging. And, um, I do a lot of work with, um, ministries here in the States and even some internationally, uh, with member care and some of the other assessments that are kind of similar to this. It, it, does so much to help a staff unite. And really, I think pieces of what we talked about before um, of just intentionality within relationships of understanding and chasing the why, like, why is this person responding in this way? Or why is this person um, really good at this, but not so good at that? And when we understand the why behind behavior, it typically increases our compassion and our empathy for that other person, whether it's my four-year-old child or my 16-year-old or my coworker across the hall. And so that's a great, great assessment. Absolutely. And it's something in our families actually recently focus on the family did a piece on the importance of disc in families. I actually gave it to my family for Christmas. They were so excited. For that. <laughs> um, but we took the test so we could understand each other better. And it actually has come into play a lot, uh, you know, regularly in our conversations. We joke about it sometimes and sometimes it's in serious, serious conversations about how we can better connect um, with each other and really, you know, study each other. It's so important to do that. I did it, used it with my daughter's soccer team and it helped them come closer together as a team. I mean, it really is useful in any team setting and any, and in families, a team as well, right? We have team meetings yeah. sometimes at our house. So let's uh, transition from that to the recommendations, which are going to take us to the end of the show. And there's two recommendations I have. I'll be pretty quick with them, but they both relate to this conversation we had today with Pam. And one is Before We Were Yours by Lisa Wingate. It's actually a fiction novel, but it's a historical fiction. It's based on the Tennessee Children's Home, um, which was very controversial and potentially, um, criminal, uh, in the, in the 1900s and, in probably 1920s to the 1950s. Um, and, uh, it's, it's a really, really good book that goes into, uh, it's basically follows, um, a couple little girls that were taken away from their family and put into this children's home and then adopted out. And, and just the, really the, the criminal behavior that did happen, um, that, uh, whether it happened in this home and actually happened in this way, it ha- definitely has happened there and unfortunately around the world as well. And so it's really something just to open our eyes to what can happen and how it doesn't always, you know, it's not always what it seems on the surface. And so I definitely recommend that book. It's a, it's a great, very well-written, um, fiction, like I said, historical fiction novel, um, that I, I recommend, uh, everyone out there reads. And then the last one is Andrew Schneidler recommended this a few weeks ago, um, and I was able to get to know Michael Barry on a phone call a little bit recently, and I'm going to be able to uh, get him on the show here pretty soon as well. And I look forward to that uh, that interview and be able to share with you out there. But it's the confessions. Of, it's confessions of an adoptive parent. It's a book. It's it's really the many of you probably have already read it. Many of you probably already know the blog, um, and really the brand that they've created around confessions of adoptive parent that is, has so many great resources. And it's such a great um, resource. Just this book is for people that are l- looking into foster or adoption have done it. As he says, you know, we're not the people that are sitting on the beach cheering you on. We're the people in the water with you who are 
are struggling. And, and that's really, I really appreciated it. Um, it's something that I, I getting to know Michael, he's the real deal. So it's something that if you guys out there are looking for a, a good resource for yourself or for someone, from some, for someone else, pick it up on Amazon or wherever else you buy books. So with that, I uh, just am so encouraged by what Pam shared. I'm encouraged just to hear what, what Karen shared afterwards. I hope that you guys are encouraged by what we were able to share with you today and what we're able to share with you every week. And I, I do pray that you use all this to help you to love orphan and vulnerable children better and better every single day of your life. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.